Good evening. Hope everyone's doing all right. Man, I don't know how I'm going to be able to top this morning. That was a great lesson by Zach. I encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, to go back, go back online and listen to it. Just a real great way of taking what can be a dark subject and putting some light into it from an optimistic point of view. I really just have enjoyed this whole sermon series, Renewing Our Mind. If you think about it, we live in a world of technology where we're constantly being stimulated and distracted and it changes the way we think and it changes the way we act. And so when we renew our mind, it's important if we're going to stand out, if we're going to be the lights that God calls us to be, and we're going to draw closer to Him. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 3 and Matthew 12 when it comes to renewing our mind with being misunderstood. Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12. Throughout Jesus' ministry, when we read the Gospels, he does amazing things, right? He does amazing things. He, he would heal people. He would show compassion. He would preach of heaven, the Gospel, the kingdom to come. His ministry changed lives. And it changed us as we sit here in the pew and we sing songs to him. And it continues to make an impact in the world. The message that Jesus preached was so different and yet so fundamental at the same time. It brought out different responses from different types of people. Many people didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to do. Many people, they were like, I need to make a change. I need to turn from my sinful ways. And yet at the same time, there were those that were hostile against Jesus. They had nothing to do with him, that rejected him. And yet for some reason, they were still intrigued by him. And he stuck on their minds. We hear Jesus saying throughout the Gospels, for example, in Matthew 11, verse 15, he who hears, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. People did hear, and they listened, and many understood. But at the same time, many listened to what Jesus had to say and came out not understanding at all. Jesus was misunderstood, and he was misunderstood often. In fact, one could argue that the journey toward the cross was paved on a road that was... It was just misunderstanding after misunderstanding. Not getting who he was, why he was here, or why he was doing and saying the things that he did. And this is true even today. Even today, we can misunderstand Jesus. We draw a spectrum, and from the most atheist to the most religious, we can misunderstand Jesus in anywhere in between. Because we read something other than what the Bible says, other than what Jesus says, and we come to conclusions based on other people's thoughts, based on other people's opinions. And we can misunderstand Jesus' message where we twist it to fit a certain agenda. And even in our lives as disciples of Jesus, we can especially in our efforts be misunderstood. Communication is so, so important. And sometimes no matter how slow we talk or how technical we try to get, we can still be misunderstood. And our culture has no patience for it. It doesn't take the time to get to know what you're trying to say. If there's a misunderstanding, well, then it's your fault and you are canceled. We can be misunderstood, not just in our everyday lives, but also as we live as God's people, how we act in a certain way, the way we think, the way we prioritize, and what we say, because we have a worldview that's centered around God. It's centered around a creator. Being misunderstood, as we know, it's, it's frustrating, and we can feel it. And when we feel misunderstood, what happens is we isolate ourselves. We blame ourselves. And we think, we think there's something wrong with us because we're just not being understood. And there's different degrees of that. Very simple. Some, I'll give you some very simple examples. I'm talking to my three-year-old. She's trying to explain something to me, something fun, something exciting that she's doing. And I'm not getting it. I'm not understanding anything that she's saying. Right? She doesn't have a big enough vocabulary. I'm not much better. Maybe a grade above. But we're not getting it. We're not getting it. And the same can be the other way around. When she gets in trouble, 
And I'm trying to explain her, hey, we don't do that, right? She doesn't have the same life experiences as I do. And so I can get frustrated when she's not getting why she's not supposed to be doing that when she gets in trouble. And those are just easy examples that we all experience. Even for non-Christians, it can be hard to understand Christians like learning a new language. And Paul ran into that all the time in his ministry. We can even misunderstand or have misunderstandings in our relationship with God. Misunderstandings, really, when it comes to ourselves. We're trying to explain how we feel to God. It's difficult. It's confusing. And what we forget is that God knows us better than we really know ourselves. It happens all the time, even with misinformation. How many times do we pick up that phone and we're, we have misinformation? How many of us have heard of the phrase, a house divided or a kingdom divided cannot stand? You type that in the Google. That's right. You type that in the Google. And what comes up? Abraham Lincoln, Right? misinformation. Yes, he said it, but what they don't realize is that Jesus often coined that phrase. That was Jesus' words. And so those are just silly, simple examples of what happens to us all the time in more serious ways, in more important relationships, whether it be with our spouse or our co-workers or our boss or even our fellow Christians. And yet there have been countless tragedies and deaths just because of a misunderstanding Being misunderstood does not get us to where we need to go. It doesn't build better, stronger relationships. It doesn't. So what we want to do this evening as we dive into God's word is to renew our mind on being misunderstood so that we can work toward, we can work toward an understanding. And the best example is Jesus because he's been our best example as we've moved forward and we try to understand shame and inadequacy and hypocrisy and anxiety and death and now being misunderstood. So Mark chapter 3, look at verse 20. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, and then 23. Mark chapter 3, 20 through 23, and then you want to see Matthew 12, verses 22 through 24. So we're going to start in Mark 3, verse 20. Then he, then Jesus, went home, and a crowd gathered again so, he, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now jump over to Matthew 12, verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that, they, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, this man cast out demons. Turn over to Mark 3.22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them, in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? All right, I'm going to stop right there. Do you see where the, the confusion is happening there? The people are amazed. They are amazed by his power. What does it say in Matthew 12, 23, that just a handful, just a few people are amazed? No, that all the people are amazed. They are amazed by his power, as it says in Matthew 12, 28, that comes from the Spirit of God, saying, I cast out these demons with the power of the Spirit of God. And now when we see something we don't understand, it's hard to make sense of those things. And that's what these people are doing. They're trying to make sense of what they are seeing. And so there's confusion and there's chaos and everyone is jumping to their own conclusions. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like almost a a mini social media here in this text. What's happening, for example, when there's a big event and we don't have all the information? People, People just jump to conclusions. We have to wait, but people get in their political spacesuits, right, and they make up stuff and they report false information on things that we just don't understand. But the thing is, 
there are people that deeply want to understand. And I know people can be turned off by that, but that's the key. There are people that deeply want to understand what it is that they're seeing, the amazing things that they are seeing. We often are too quick to call someone naive and to say that they're ignorant instead of trying to flesh out any misunderstandings we may have with people who truly do want to understand. And we're seeing that in this text. People have different responses to Jesus and his power. Power that comes from the Spirit of God. People misunderstand Jesus as a man and he's doing good things. His intentions are good. How can we as humans do that? We as humans, we take something good and we take something beautiful and we distort it because we don't understand. We misunderstand it. What happens is we're too scared. We're too scared to face the truth. And Jesus is misunderstood in this text, mainly by by two main groups. First is family. And how true is that for us today in our family? Sometimes the first people to misunderstand us and the change in our life when we accept Christ are those that are closest to us. We've all heard of churches splitting over a misunderstanding, over things where there should be no misunderstandings. And it's tragic. And here in this text, Jesus is coming home. His family hears about everything that's going on. The crowds that are swarming Jesus. I read it. It's almost like his family wants to have an intervention. But look at what it says in verse 21. Verse 21, it says, When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. They went to seize him because he was in danger of the crowd? No. Apparently he has lost his mind. How often in our misunderstandings, when we're trying to explain ourselves, are our words seized from us, from that other person, and then used against us? It doesn't matter what we said or what we were trying to say. They've seized that, seized what we didn't mean, and then used it against us, and, and now we've lost our minds. There's no willingness there to understand. They've thrown in the towel, they've given up on the conversation, and that's what Jesus' family here has done. But we have to be reminded of God's infinite wisdom when he says in Proverbs 18.2 that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. How many misunderstandings have we had in our own life because people put more value in their opinions rather than truth? And that is what we see from the scribes and Pharisees, that second major group that misunderstands Jesus. And this is more than just a misunderstanding in some ways. It's almost straight up denial. They're not allowing their logic to go where it needs to go in understanding where Jesus is coming from and what he's doing. Their reasoning is just human reasoning trying to understand this phenomenon. They don't understand. And the problem is, their reasoning is unreasonable. They're not considering that he might be and is the Son of God. But in their mind, there has to be a better explanation. Have we heard that before? People will look at creation and the stars and the skies and say, there has to be a better explanation than a creator. There has to be. I'll make it a little more relevant for you today. You know, people will look at life in the womb and say, that's not life because of a certain situation or they think, well, there has to be a more convenient solution to my problem and what I'm experiencing. They don't want to face the truth because it's scary to take responsibility. Facing the truth takes responsibility. Accepting who Jesus is as God takes responsibility on our part. We have to take responsibility. If our actions, with our actions, if, if God, if Jesus is telling us to, for example, to tell the truth, to help those in need, to live and to worship the one and only loving God. And in this situation, the Pharisees, they fear the crowd. 
They fear their lack of influence more than they fear God. Who is, we have to remind ourselves, who is the God of all reasoning, the God of all logic, and the God of all wisdom. And so, in, there is a misunderstanding. The desire for God's people should be, should be to use God's wisdom to discern the words and actions of others and of the situation. And instead, what we see in Mark 3 is what? They accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. And what, what they're seeing is almost too amazing for that to make any sense. After all, Jesus not only you know, took the demon out of the person, but he healed his sight and his voice. So, of course, in their mind, it only makes sense that he's not just possessed by any demon. He's possessed by the prince of demons. It's like there's so much denial that they have to justify their logic with less logical thinking, with just straight-up foolishness. And if that's the perspective that we take and that other people take, then what they're saying is what Jesus is doing is nothing more than just a simple magic trick. That it's just the prince of demons telling this demon to come out of this man. And for what reason? And this is where Jesus begins to understand their thinking. He says in Matthew 12, 25, says, knowing their thoughts, he said to them. Jesus realized what they're thinking. And did Jesus hide away? Did he blow off the conversation? Did he run away from that misunderstanding? No. No, he says, I want to settle this in verse 23 of Mark 3. Mark 3, 23, he says, he called them to him. He said, come here, come here. He called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Why Jesus tries to clear up a misunderstanding with a parable, I don't know. But he's Jesus, and he can do it. He can, and what he says is very powerful. And that's, that's what we want to try to pay attention to this text. It's the effort brought to Jesus, brought on by Jesus here. Because when there's a misunderstanding, what we do is we run away. That's the easiest form of action, especially in a chaotic moment like this, is to run away, to leave the explosion, to leave the chaos before it consumes me so that I don't get a bad reputation, so that I don't get canceled. But is that what we see from Jesus? No. Is that how we show love to other people and care to other people? No. What Jesus does is he talks to these people in the midst of a huge crowd saying he's possessed by a demon and saying they want to seize him and and that he's insane. Is he offended by these things? No. Is he assaulted or ashamed, I should say, by his family who are not supporting him? No, he's not. And so we need to mimic those same efforts because the best way to solve a misunderstanding is to work toward an understanding. Now, this is important. There's a difference between an agreement and an understanding. Just because we come to an understanding doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that they're saying. But we have to understand that person's intentions and what they are. Again, that doesn't mean that we have to agree on those intentions, but an understanding assists us in moving toward a place of peace. And so look at what Jesus, read with me what Jesus says in verses 24 through 27 of Mark 3. It says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Now I know verses 24 and 25, there are very popular statements. And this statement is true in many ways, But when it comes to misunderstanding, we are divided in that moment. 
In that misunderstanding, we don't get where the other person's coming from. There's just so much coming in. There's different ideas and thoughts and solutions, and we just don't know. A misunderstanding leads to division. It leads to a divided house. It leads to a divided kingdom, and we don't want that. We don't want to see division in our nation. We don't want to see division in the body of Christ. We especially don't want to see division in our families as well. And yet, how many of us have had to live with negative consequences because people were satisfied in misunderstandings? Jesus is so logical here in this text. And that is exactly what he does. He uses logic that comes from God's wisdom to push through the confusion. If you think of Messiah here from the Jewish perspective, the Jews, when they thought of Messiah, they're looking for someone who's going to bring them unity, right? Abraham was promised a nation, and they had a unifying nation. And then during the kings, they were divided and conquered and, and spread out, and so they're looking for unity. And so Jesus shows empathy here. He talks in their language. When Jesus says, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand, he's not just appealing to himself as being accused of being demon-possessed, but also to the Jewish beliefs here. And then gives a little nod to the family when he says uh, a family cannot, will be divided. He'll nod to the family that are not supporting him at this time. Jesus uses parables to help us renew our minds on a certain subject. And it's all centered around God's great wisdom. The whole Bible is full of God's great wisdom. And one of the greatest passages when it comes to unity in the Bible and around our theme of being renewed is Romans 12 verses 1 through 2. Which reminds us, as it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus is sacrificing for understanding. Conforming to this world only adds to the chaos that this world is offering instead of understanding. Notice what Jesus says about Satan in verse 25. In verse 25, Jesus says, If Satan has risen up against himself, this is Mark 3, and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Why would Satan depossess a demon-possessed man? Satan is all about chaos, and it is in his power to possess, to contort, to get you to conform rather than transform. It is his mission to create misunderstanding. And so why would Jesus be demon-possessed if he's creating peace, if his intentions are good and he's doing good? He's not possessed. He is the Son of God. He has to be the Son of God. He has to be the I am, if he's going to command a demonic spirit to do something against what their mission is, to create chaos. Satan is very powerful. And Jesus doesn't deny that fact. In fact, he admits it in verse 25, that Satan has power. That Satan does stand for something, and it's not against himself. That he stands against you and all of us trying to fight against the chaos and the misunderstandings of this world. And so my encouragement to you is not to let Satan take control of your life because he wants to divide us. Are we searching for understanding? An understanding that is going to create unity. An understanding in our conversations and our relationships and our studies and studies with God's word. Peace in our relationships and unity in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is doing. 
Jesus does it, he does this by first listening. Listening to the concerns and the accusations brought to him by others. And then he speaks. And when he speaks, he's using the wisdom of God. Wisdom we can all find using God's word to bring understanding to a situation. And as a family, as a body of Christ, are we doing that? Are we renewing our mind about being misunderstood? What does Jesus say about his family? Look in verses 31 through 35. Verses 31 through 35 of Mark 3. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, he sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Verse 33. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' family isn't seeking his teaching. In fact, they're seeking to stop Jesus. But according to Jesus, I mean, he's, according to the family, Jesus has lost his mind. They're wanting to seize him. They aren't sitting around Jesus like the crowd, as Jesus says, who is his true family in verse 34. A crowd that's doing what? What is this crowd doing? They are seeking understanding. And yet at a distance is his family away from Jesus, away from God, satisfied with misunderstanding. This life is full of misinformation. It's full of confusion and it's full of misunderstandings. But it is ingrained in us. It's ingrained in us to ask questions about life, to make sense of things. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we care about where we come from and you know, who we are and why we're here? I believe it's God's way of instilling in us a path toward understanding. Understanding him and finding Jesus so that we can sit in his presence and have peace just like this crowd who, remember, was chaotic at the beginning and now is what? Is calm. The teaching in this text is applied and can be applied really to the macro micro levels of our life. If we are being misunderstood, then we need to strive toward understanding because understanding, it comes from God. It takes time. It takes time to communicate, to push through the frustration. Of course, we go on, push through with a level head and to listen to others and to come to an understanding. And I know that as disciples of Jesus, it's hard because we get misunderstood for our intentions. You know, why are they helping them? Why is, why is he helping, helping her? And, and why does this person think that I need to be saved? I need saving. And we hear that all the time. But the thing is, we all need saving from the misunderstandings of our life. Jesus, in verse 35, notice what he says. He says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Not only are our true families and allies those that strive to live for God and the will of God, but those that strive to understand the will of God. And I'm not saying that you have to, you have to know all the answers. It's the will of God for you to know and have all the answers. I'm not saying that. But in a misunderstanding between people, it should be the will of God for you to speak and to seek understanding in that relationship. There's unity in God's will, which can only be achieved by understanding where there is love and there is compassion and there's forgiveness in understanding. Because misunderstanding only brings out the worst of us. And, and who wants to live in that type of state? And maybe we're not good at communicating or listening. Maybe we're not good at connecting with other people. We don't naturally have to be good at those things. We just have to be seeking the will of God in order to improve at those things. It is in the will of God that we are going to create and renew our minds toward being misunderstood. 
If we look at verse 35, what does it say? Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And then you look at Romans 12, verse 2, and it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Two big words out of there. Testing and discerning. Testing and discerning are going to bring us understanding. Two qualities that are going to shine a light on God's will, on what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. Are we testing the information that comes to us, the intentions of others? Are we discerning what is right and wrong? I want to leave you with this example. As we've gone through this lesson here, we apply what we need to to this example here. I was watching an interview for a charity, and the the person giving the interview asked one of the people benefited by the charity for some advice. Advice to younger people that were struggling just as he was. And of course, he gives the quintessential cultural advice that we've all heard. Just, Just be you, work to be your best self, and don't live for others. It's so original. It's so original, I know. But we can be quick to judge, and we can be quick to judge the person giving it. But yes, on face value, take that quote, and a lot of it goes against what God has to say in his word. We just break that down a little bit. Just be you. What does God say? He says, deny yourself. Work to be your best self. Yes, we should try to improve ourselves, but why? Who are we mimicking in our life? Or that last one, don't live for others. Jesus makes it very clear. Love God and love others. And we can stop there. We can stop right there and say this person has no understanding of life and say he has evil intentions and then run away from the conversation. However, we stop there. That is a misunderstanding. And we're not striving to be like Christ and to teach them about the gospel. We're not striving toward understanding. How can we teach and apply the gospel if we're misunderstanding the intentions behind what people say? So we have to do some investigating. We have to dig a little deeper here, right? This is a charity interview. This is a charity that's designed to help other people. Specifically, this is a charity that helps underprivileged inner city kids. So we have to have empathy for a second. We have, a, we have to kind of think about this. These kids, what do they go through? Often these kids are used and abused. And these kids seek the attention and the approval of others in order to move up or to move out of their situation. And so when he says, be you, and don't live for other people. What he's saying is don't live to seek the approval of others or to place yourself in a situation that would make you vulnerable toward abuse. Now there's context. Now we have something to stand on. Now we can move forward. That gives us meaning behind what they're trying to say. And now we can apply the gospel and we can search for understanding. My call to you this evening is is not to harden your hearts and to be content with misunderstandings and divisions, but to always strive for understanding, even if it's exhausting and very frustrating. If we truly follow the will of God and we're seeking after those things, those things that are good and acceptable and perfect, just as Jesus was and still is, well then, we have a heart that loves God. And a heart that loves God is going to be a heart that not just loves people, but strives and achieves understanding. The missing piece of that man's statement was God. It was God. We're all looking for some sort of salvation. And there's always an aspect of our life where we need some sort of salvation. Maybe we're just looking at our phones too much. That's an easy one, but it could be serious. Maybe we're in a toxic relationship, a job, an addiction, misunderstandings. We as humans look everywhere for salvation, whether that be in friends or self-help books or hobbies. And even in ourselves, we look for salvation. But what we find is none of those things last forever. 
The only place that we can find salvation and continually be sustained is through Jesus. Jesus is the only one. And he makes some pretty strong language there in verses 28 through 30. In verses 28 through 30 of Mark 3, he says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whoever blasphemes, and whatever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. We read that, and we can feel that sucker punch, scared of maybe I have committed this unforgivable sin. And what happens if we read the text that way, it's, it's kind of a misunderstanding. Instead, what we're doing when we read the text that way, we're looking inside, we're condemning ourselves, and that's not helping anyone. We have to put this in the context. Jesus is healing a demon-possessed man in this chapter. By what power, right? By the Spirit of God. By the Holy Spirit. Do the Pharisees accept this? No, they don't. They deny Jesus. They deny the Holy Spirit. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to deny Jesus and continually living a life of denying Jesus. It isn't to mock or to blaspheme against Jesus himself or in a disrespectful way. That is what people did all the time when they were crucifying him. And what did Jesus say on the cross in Luke 23, 34? Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So when we read Mark 3 and Matthew 12, Jesus is pointing out the heart of the Pharisees here in this situation, that they have gone further than just insulting Jesus. They have condemned themselves by denying Jesus, by denying God. And that's the case. And yes, verse 29 is a little scary. But we are saved through Jesus And that means accepting who he is. Accepting him as our Lord and our God. Jesus will be the one that saves us. And then we're baptized. As it says in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The only way the Holy Spirit, we can receive the Holy Spirit, is if we deny ourselves. And there's no room for God and ourselves in sin. The Pharisees never denied themselves. They never made room. In fact, they just denied Jesus. So don't reject Jesus. Don't live a life of denial. He is the one that can save us. He's the one that can keep on saving us. And if our hearts are really heavy with sin, then we need to look to salvation, as it says in Mark 3.28. This is what should comfort us. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Those words are his bond. It's his promise. It's what you can just depend on. Accept that salvation today and to be baptized when we stand and we sing.